you very much for joining. So the last couple of weeks, uh, actually probably even more than some weeks, I think there has been a very qualitative step in terms of objectivism being on the forefront and reaching more people. We already discussed about the discussion between uh, Craig Biddle and uh, Dennis Prager. This had a huge amount of views. But more recently, we had uh, Yaron Brook being on the Lex Friedman show and having a chat with Michael Malis. To be honest, this was the most enjoyable internet discussion I think I followed in my whole life. And I'm saying this consciously, not as an exaggeration. It was super fun. And the balance between how fun and how enjoyable it was, for me, it was great. And also there are some interesting lessons there on how you promote an idea. But also our guest today, Mark Pellegrino. Hi, Mark. Hey, how so, are you? I'm very good. I was just watching, I just finished five minutes ago watching your interview with Michael Malis. So we're going to talk a bit about this as well. But okay. also we are going to discuss about your project reality check so we're gonna take each one of these things one by by one so did you watch the the yaron michael malis uh, thing at lex friedman i watched close to four hours of it but i didn't see the whole thing right so yeah it's four and a half hours and what i found very very interesting is that first of all i think it was yaron's best public performance ever it was it wasn't only Yaron at his sharpest, but also we saw a different Yaron in terms of, you know, he was humorous. It was good fun to watch. <laughs> so one of the one of the ideas was, and I've, I've heard it for many years in objective circles, that be careful when you go and discuss with libertarians because people might confuse the views and you give them a sanction and all that stuff. And yet I think that this discussion between three people that are very interested in ideas is gonna have a bigger impact in terms of new and the right kind of people getting in touch with objectivism. So what's your whole take on, uh, you know, should we discuss to, of course you gave your answer by being to Malice yourself, but I always found a bit weird this idea that, oh, be careful when we talk with, uh, with libertarians and all that stuff. So what's your take on that? Um, yeah, I mean, I think anytime objectivism gets exposure it's going to bring people into the fold because it's just such a clear philosophy um and i think Yaron did display lots of dimensions to his character that we haven't seen before and that was um that was uh that was pretty cool you know it was, it was great to see that and i think it's endearing as an audience member from the outside uh, you know, serious attack on the issues is is cool, but you know, humor is nice too, and humor is a great uh, delivery mechanism. And that's one thing I think Michael Malice has in spades. The one thing I was a little disappointed in, see, if we're going to talk to libertarians and particularly people like Michael Malice, uh, who's an anarchist, uh, we have to deal with anarchy a particular way uh, to make it clear to them that it's not just moral or even a representation of freedom. I don't know that Yaron did that in, in, from, from my perspective as clearly as he could. He doesn't have to convince objectivists that anarchy is a bad thing. He has to convince anarchists that anarchy is a bad thing. And anarchists think that uh, you can sell force. It's a market commodity. It's no different than any other 
than any other uh, market good or service. And I don't know that he adequately disabused Michael Malice of that. Now, in my interview, I was hoping to get to that. I didn't know that we had a, an hour long limit. If I knew that we were gonna only go for an hour, I would have intentionally pushed the topic. Uh, but it, it kept being referred to later on in the in the uh, interview. And then at the very end, we were, we were done. And I said, wow, we never dealt with anarchy, which is sort of what I really wanted to deal with with him because he's, uh, he's an intellectual force to be reckoned with, I, I think. Um, and he's got a great presence. And he's somebody who uh, uh, loves Rand, has clear respect for her, but hasn't integrated the ideas in a way that leads him away from anarchy into what into our into our notion of the way things should be so he definitely needs to be brought into the fold and i think there's a way to do it so with the risk that this is going to sound like a second interview after the malice interview but i want to ask you that so <clears throat> I, one of the things that i'm not confident in going out in the public sphere and discussing and where i realize my limits is this issue of force so i don't think i can have a good discussion with anarchists because This, this idea that force cannot be a market is not something that I have integrated really well. So let me get to this question, this discussion that you didn't have with Malice. So what would be your, let's say, one-minute pitch to an intellectually curious anarchist in terms of why market, force cannot be just one area where you can have a market? Well, uh, and in a sense, I, I'm probably stealing my argu argument from Stuart Hayashi. Um, Uh, force is always a monopoly. By its nature, it is a monopoly. I'll give you a perfect example. You come into my house to rob me. You are trying to assert your will over me. That's what force is. Force is the assertion of your will over somebody else. You come into my house to rob me. You are asserting your will over me. I discover you in my premises and now try to stop you from doing what you are doing. I try to assert my will over you only one of us wins and that's why there can only be uh there can't be a competition in asserting your will over another there can't be a market in asserting your will over another the market is the absence of that kind of assertion it's it's only it's only exchanging values with other people voluntarily they're in in, in the interests of profiting There is no such thing as asserting your will over another person in a marketplace, and there can't be any market for that. Now, what they point to is uh, market and protection services, but they, they do it sort of knowing that we exist in that system already. We exist in a system where you can buy protection services, but it's still under the umbrella of a quote-unquote objective law, a singular type of government or at least a, a singular philosophy or evaluation of the way the law should treat individuals. Um, you can't have competition. Look, to me, governments compete in, in two ways. You see it in our federalist system where we have local state and, and federal governments that compete with one another through a, through a deconcentration of power called federalism and a checks and balances, or they, they, they make war on each other, right? If there's, if, If you have a communist uh, protection agency and a capitalist protection agency in the same uh, geographic area competing for force, they have entirely unrelated notions of property, right? Notions of the, the way the individual should interact with people and they will fight. 
they will fight because there's no compromise between those two and one will eventually have to assert his will over the other. So like what Yaron said, what I thought was great was, well, in a geographic area, yes, there can only be one. And there can only be one because of the nature of force. Force is a monopoly. It's the assertion of will over something or someone. Yeah, and I think on that part, I, do, I don't think that Malice was particularly, that he had a particularly good objection to that. Anyway, I don't want to make this whole discussion about uh, anarchy, just that this was the one topic that did not come out of, uh, of your discussion. So I, I, my favorite part from your interview was also what you said about, Iran, about the mullahs in Iran. So you said that in the, in the same way that, you can, that the mafia hasn't got a right to exist, in the same way, a foreign power, which is aggressive, has not got the right to exist as a state entity, as a government. And again, I, th- I found this very, very interesting because this is a misunderstanding by many libertarians. And I think Miles was playing devil's advocate, but many libertarians don't get this. They say, oh, objectivists are hawks. They're like these neoconservatives who they believe that uh, we have to go and impose our will to every evil regime in the world, which is not the case. The case is If someone is a threat to you, you deal with him as effectively as possible, which reminds me, by the way, self-defense. That's the number one principle in Krav Maga. Try not to engage in battle. Try to avoid it if you can. But if you have to engage, the battle has to finish very, very quickly. The fight has to finish very, very quickly and with the least damage for you. So whereas you could say... And and you have to incapacitate the bad guy. You have to make sure that they cannot ever come at you again in the same way. Exactly. Which is a bit is... So sometimes some other martial arts are a bit more gentle. So for example, the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu guys say, no, you have to put them on a hold. Therefore, you can negotiate and tell them, if you do this, I'm going to break your arm. Which I can understand it's more... It makes more sense. So if it's your drunken uncle, for example, yes. But at the very, very end, the number one goal is you not to get hurt and the other person, if the other person is evil, that they have to actually suffer the consequences of their evil actions. So we have a super chat. The market is the absence of force, says uh, Bonnie. Yes, indeed. The, the market is the absence of force. And uh, that, was, that was, I think, at the key of, of the discussion and at the key of any discussions with anarchists. So, okay, I'm very, very tempted to ask you more questions about, you mentioned you've met Nathaniel Brandon, and this was an interesting part of your discussion with, uh, with Malice. But let me, let me say something else since we mentioned martial arts anyway. So in a way, I see these events where an objectivist meets one of the heavyweights of the other side in the same way I view UFC and the very early UFCs. So the main point in the early, very early UFCs is everyone thinks that their martial art is the best until they meet together. And I think then it becomes visible which one is the really dominating one. And in the right. same way that in the first UFCs, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu came to surface as undisputably the most effective martial art system. I think every time you see Yaron or an objectivist, like someone who can have a good public presence like yourself. When you see, when you see them towards someone, a conservative or an anarchist, I think it makes the difference clear. So in my view, and again, I know many objectives would disagree, we have to go after these events. We have to go after these meetings 
because again, it's op- it becomes obvious to anyone who wants to see which philosophy is the best in dealing with the evils and the problems of uh, of this world. So, am I just holding here, waving the party flag, or do you think there's something to it? No, I think I think we we're not in the establishment, and we have to become a part of the establishment. And the way you do, or mainstream, if you want to call it the mainstream, and the way you do that is by challenging the establishment at every opportunity. And these people who have big mouthpieces, uh, you know, big, big amplified voices, they they influence the culture. And it's very important that people like Yaron Brook or you or I or anybody gets out there on shows like Lex Friedman, they have over a million followers um, who are prime for this sort of thing because they're intellectually hungry they're curious and they see the world around them uh they see that the world around them is stuck in a rut and they want to get out of it so these are the types of people that we need to be exposed to for sure yeah and i'm so happy that the objectivist movement is moving towards this direction and is understanding that that this is the case so speaking about going to the masses so on saturday i think we saw you posting a video called Reality Check. And I'll tell you how I viewed it. So I didn't know about this project. So the first three minutes when I'm in, the, the, the phrase that came to my mind is, this is philosophy for the masses. And this is something I had in my mind from the communist days. It was a cliche and it was a theme in, in, in terms of how you do proper propaganda. And the term propaganda for communists is a positive term. But I always found this a good thing so that at least the communists in Greece would try to explain things in simple terms and not have this ivory tower thing. So when I saw this video, so for people who don't know, so if you put on YouTube a uh, Mark Pellegrino reality check, you see the first of a series of what I understood of videos, which says why evil should not be viewed as a, as a, as a very powerful force. So do you want to tell us a bit more about this project and most importantly how do you first of all is its aim to do philosophy for the people and if yes how do you do philosophy for the masses what is the way to chew down these ideas so that someone can understand them in a five minutes video where they see someone who they already know and in a way your presence is what's going to get them to watch the video to begin with yeah so this started as a part of ari's influencers uh, a group People, I think, who are graduates of OAC who eventually the accelerator get the program. Yeah, the accelerator program. That's it. Yeah, and and uh, you you sort of get together and you 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 pitch projects, and and then you know Tal, who's sort of the head of the accelerator group, sort of tries to sort out after a couple of weeks of pitching which project has the best possibility of making the widest impact. He chose this one which is my reality check. And we worked on it for a, a few weeks or I got together with, you know, there was a director and a potential producer and people who would amplify the message on social media, a whole crew of people and some people like Don Watkins um, writing. And I just wasn't happy with the message and I we couldn't quite get what we wanted. So Tal was just like, why don't you write this stuff and do it on your own? Because the, prop, the, the proposition that the crew was making or the people at the head of the production was that it was going to be a very expensive thing, like 20, 20K per episode. And I'm like, well, I just have a, you know, I just have an iPad. I'm, I'm not so confident that I can do it, but why not? I'll just give it a shot. So I did this. I bought a light and I have my iPad. I just film it on my iPad with a, 
I write it and then I put it on my iPad on a, a teleprompter app and I just play with it till I feel I like it. And then, uh, and then I submit it to this friend of mine who's a, is an editor and she plays with it with my editing suggestions and some of her own original stuff. And, uh, and then it comes out. And yeah, the idea is to democratize these ideas, right? I mean, people don't understand how important philosophy is in their lives, in part because philosophy has made itself impenetrable, you know? And, and so nobody, even though everybody has a philosophy and they pick it up by osmosis, um, they, they, they don't understand how important it is because they, they're not going to really get into the heart of the matter. They're not going to really investigate their own philosophy and they can't in, investigate it because it's, if they were to pick up literature, <laughs> the, the origin literature of their philosophy would probably be impenetrable and really impossible for them to, uh, to figure out. So yeah, I want to bring basic ideas to people uh, in, in, in a way that is democratic in a way that they that anybody can get you can explain it to a 12 year old and the 12 year old is going to understand perfectly uh what you're saying and so we picked evil because it's a big topic and it expresses a lot um a lot about what we value as good basically and it says it it, it it's a it's a it's a wide wide topic that that captures lots of values and and lots of other ideas in its wake and could get you thinking, you know, about these other things. And let me, let me tell you what was the part that I thought was the most successful in terms of making clear what the, what the principles here are and what the philosophical choice here are. So at part, again, to watch this video put on YouTube, Mark Pellegrino reality check. So at some point, Mark is showing you a couple, a very good looking man and a very good looking woman on some like a private jet. And then it shows you Mother Teresa holding a, a baby or something like that. And, and, he, and you ask, be honest with yourself, which of the two would you rather be? And of course, everyone wants to say, I want to be Mother Teresa, but you see the suffering and you see this, because as I think, I don't remember if it's you said it or Yaron said it on the, Lex, the first Lex Freedom interview, because I was watching it again, that Mother Teresa actually she's considered good because she's suffering, not because she's helping people, because she's helping people and at the same time she's suffering. So you, you saw this antithesis and you can actually see the couple is very, very good looking. And then you have a picture with Mother Teresa. And the question is, be honest, which of the two would you rather have? And then you say that the trick that modern philosophy or not modern philosophy, that altruistic philosophy throughout the ages plays with you is that they know you're going to pick the one But they tell you that the one you pick because it's a celebration of life is bad because it's about material reality. And supposedly this is not something which you should be proud of. So what you're doing is you take, you go basically from Plato to Christianity to explain within five minutes why this idea you've been sold that happiness is uh, whatever is against your life basically is an idea that you should throw to the beans and it's against your life. So again, it's something very good and uh, And again, I put these things together, right? I don't know, sometimes, maybe just in my head, but I see a momentum here. I see objectivism being, I don't know if the term is proper, but chewed, chewed down and made simply in a way without distilling the message, without watering down the message and opening it to the audience that is exactly the audience that you'd want 
to have people who are intellectually curious or people who want to what's wrong with my life why is my life why do i not feel happy so this idea how does philosophy apply to your life i think it's super important one last thing we people who are in your circles have heard things about a new atlas rugged project but we promise we wouldn't say anything but you mentioned something on malice so now it's out there so do you want to tell us a bit more about this project and where it is Yeah, Jacqueline Schumann and uh, Jennifer Buani are these two um, two writers that Tal introduced me to. Um, I read their pilot script. They have a, a limited series idea for a reboot of Atlas Shrugged. They're calling it The Strike. Um, they wrote a pilot and uh, they've, they've mapped out the first season already and they're into the second and third season. They have a whole show Bible. And all the characters and backstories written. Uh, it is one of the best pilots I've ever read. I helped them develop it in a certain way. Like I told them what I thought it needed and what I and what I thought uh, should be taken out and why. And uh, they listened to that in addition to some other writers' notes that they got. And they've produced something that is completely unique. It is It is the philosophy without knowing you're getting the philosophy. There's no way you can read Atlas Shrugged and not know you're getting philosophy, right? Because everybody speaks in 80-page monologues about philosophy. Um, but this is, this is uh, it combines, how can I say this? It's, it's heartfelt, passionate, intense, funny at times, witty. The characters are diverse and interesting, so it automatically kills one major straw man about Rand, you know, that it only appeals to a certain specific uh, part of the population, primarily white men, um, because uh, it's heavily populated by a mosaic of very interesting characters. And uh, it, it takes you there without knowing you're being taken there. You're just propelled along by a fantastic story. I have never seen anything like it, to be honest with you, because um, I've seen Rand's pieces of Rand's version of the script, um, which I did not think would work. Of course, um, we know John Aguilero, who um, who produced the other the three movies, and I know he was crunched for time, but we know that those didn't work for various reasons. Um, and you you want this project to work. It's the most important literary project in the 20th and 21st century. I think it's, uh, e it's, it's equal to, if not more important than the Bible, of course, for its own reasons. Um, it has to be something grandiose. It has to be something which is... So before I... So my dream was always an HBO thing on Atlas Run, something on that level, like a Game of Thrones level of, of Atlas. So obviously, okay, you cannot reveal that much, but if everything goes well, If everything not trained, well. just so you know, it's not trained. It's the near future technology. It's something else. It's uh, it's autonomous trucks, and it's very cool, um, really slick, very relatable. I think. I actually think there are some forces out there that want to remake Atlas Shrugged, and they want to go backwards. They want it to be a pure representation of her novel, which I think will be a big fat flop. They want to make it trains, which I think will be a big big fat flop. I think it needs to be something that the millennial and the and younger looks at and can not only imagine but inhabit. And there's nothing about this pilot that 
the people we really need to reach, the 20-somethings and younger, the 15-year-olds now who are coming up believing that socialism is a good thing. These are the kids that need to be cut off at the pass with something beautiful and heroic and romantic, but in a, in a spirit and style that they can understand. Yeah, and actually what you said with the train. So, for example, if you remember the three movies that you mentioned, in the opening of the movie, you have this line that says, because of a fuel uh, restriction or something like that, the world has going back to trains. And it's, it's not very convincing. So, to be honest, ideally, I'd want, the, I'd want it as it is in the books, but I understand it's difficult. But anyway, if everything goes well with this, and I understand it's a very, it's a very, very early project. If everything goes well, and from your experience from the, from, 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 uh, the entertainment industry, When, would it, when could it be on our screens? Are we talking about five years, two years, 20 years? What is a reasonable prediction? If things go well. You know, I think it usually takes about five years to get something up on the screen. But um, with technology and streaming being what it is and the amount of money possibilities that exist out there to get something like this going, and the capacity for somebody rich enough to start their own streaming network and, and at the plethora of distribution companies out there now, um, it could be much faster. So we'll see. Uh, there is resistance, of course, to the idea. Um, and you know, with, with critical theory and radical skepticism sort of being in its ascendance right now, uh, there are probably people who would support it otherwise, but are a little bit afraid because of the atmosphere. Um, I have a feeling that this, that this, um, sorry, I cut off. I don't know. I have a feeling that this critical, um, uh, cynical world is, is, is about to peak. I think, I think people are starting to see it for what it is. And uh, eventually that's going to work in our favor sooner rather than later. So I'm totally um, with you on that. I'm very, very optimistic. And again, in the last weeks, it's, it's, and I think I don't want to draw to, to brag, but I think I sense these things around 2008. I was telling my friends in Greece, I can see how the left within some years is going to, I have some things. I, I think I can sense things out there and I can see that the way we approach how we communicate ideas it's getting better and better and i think it's uh, we're we're on a good uh, we're on a good track anyway we're also out of time so thanks to everyone who participated thanks to the super chatters so we're gonna we're gonna be also on clubhouse if you want to discuss any of these things thank you mark thank you everyone and thank see you. you all soon bye bye